Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. I apologize for not uploading last week because I was very busy last week so I wasn't able to upload. But this week we will start a new book, The Titan's Curse. And today we will read chapters 1 through 2. So without further ado, on with the show. Chapter 1. My rescue operation goes very wrong. The Friday before winter break, my mom packed me an overnight bag and a few deadly weapons and took me to a new boarding school. We picked up my friends Annabeth and Thalia on the way. It was an eight-hour drive from New York to Bar Harbor, Maine. Sleet and snow pounded the highway. Annabeth, Thalia, and I hadn't seen each other in months. But between the blizzard and the thought of what we were about to do, we were too nervous to talk much. Except for my mom. She talks more when she's nervous. By the time we finally got over to Westover Hall, it was getting dark, and she told Annabeth and Thalia every embarrassing baby story there was to tell about me. Thalia wiped the fog off the car window and peered outside. Oh yeah, this will be fun. Westover Hall looked like an evil knight's castle. It was all black stone with towers and slit windows and a big set of wooden double doors. It stood on a snowy cliff overlooking this big, frosty forest on one side and the gray churning ocean on the other uh, are you sure you don't want me to wait my mother asked no thanks mom i said i don't know how long it'll take we'll be okay but how will you get back i'm worried percy i hoped i wasn't blushing it was bad enough i had to depend on my mom to drive me to my battles <laughs> it's okay miss jackson Ambit smiled reassuringly. Her blonde hair was tucked into a ski cap, and her gray eyes were the same color as the ocean. We'll keep him out of trouble. My mom seemed to relax a, <clears throat> relax a little. She thinks Annabeth is the most level-headed demigod ever to hit 8th grade. She's sure Annabeth often keeps me from getting killed. She's right, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. All right, dears, my mom said. Do you have everything you need? Yes, Miss Jackson, Thalia said. Thanks for the ride. Extra sweaters? You have my cell phone number? Mom. Your ambrosia and nectar, Percy? And a golden drachma in case you need to contact camp? Mom, seriously, we'll be fine. Come on, guys. She looked a little hurt, and I was sorry about that. But I was ready to be out of the car. If my mom told me one more story about how cute I looked in the bathtub when I was three years old, I was going to burrow into the snow and freeze myself to death. Annabeth and Thalia followed me outside. The wind blew straight through my coat like ice daggers. Once my mother's car was out of sight, Thalia said, Your mom is so cool, Percy. She's pretty okay, I admitted. What about you? You ever get in touch with your mom? As soon as I said it, I wish I hadn't. Thalia was great at giving evil looks. What with the punk clothes she always wore, wears, the ripped up army jacket, black leather pants and chain jewelry, the black eyeliner and those intense blue eyes... But the look she gave me now was a perfect evil 10. If that was any of your business, Percy, we'd better get inside, Nabbit interrupted. Grover will be waiting. Thalia looked at the castle and shivered. You're right. I wonder what he found here that made him send the distress call. I stared up at the dark towers of Westover Hall. Nothing good, I guessed. The oak doors groaned open, and the three of us stepped into the entry hall in a swirl of snow. All I could say was, whoa. <clears throat> the place was huge. The walls were lined with battle flags and weapon displays, antique rifles, battle axes, and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, I knew Westover was a military school and all, 
but the decorations seem like overkill. Literally. My hand went to my pocket, where I kept my lethal ballpoint pen riptide. I could already sense something wrong in this place. Something dangerous. Dahlia was rubbing her silver bracelet, her favorite magic item. I knew we were thinking the same thing. A fight was coming. Ambit started to say, I wonder where... The door slammed shut behind us. Okay, I mumbled. Guess we'll stay a while. I could hear music echoing from the other end of the hall. It sounded like dance music. We stashed our overnight bags behind a pillar and started down the hall. We hadn't gone very far when I heard footsteps on the stone floor, and a man and woman marched out of the shadows to intercept us. They both had short gray hair and black military uniforms with red trim. The woman had a wispy mustache, and the guy was clean-shaven, which seemed kind of backward to me. They both walked stiffly, like they had broomsticks taped to their spines. Well, the woman demanded, what are you doing here? Um... I realized I hadn't planned for this. I'd been so focused on getting to Grover and finding out what was wrong, I hadn't considered that someone might question three kids sneaking into the school at night. We hadn't talked at all in the car how we would just get inside. I said, ma'am, we're just... Ha! The man snapped, which made me jump. Visitors are not allowed at the dance. You shall be ejected. He had an accent. French, maybe? He probably pronounces J's like Jacques. He was tall with a hawkish face. His nostrils flared when he spoke, which made it really hard not to stare up his nose. And his eyes were two different colors, one brown, one blue, like an alley cat's. I figured he was about to toss us into the snow, but then Thalia stepped forward and did something very weird. She snapped her fingers. The sound was sharp and loud. Maybe it was just my imagination, but I felt a gust of wind ripple out of her hand across the room. It washed over all of us, making the banners rustle on the walls. Oh, but we're not visitors, sir, Thalia said. We go to school here. You remember, I'm Thalia, and this is Annabeth and Percy. We're in the eighth grade. The male teacher narrowed his two colored eyes. I don't know what Thalia was thinking. Now we'd probably get punished for lying and thrown into the snow. But the man seemed to be hesitating. He looked at his colleague. Miss Gottschalk, do you know these students? Despite the danger we are in, I had to bite my tongue to keep from laughing. A teacher named Gottschalk? He had to be kidding. The woman blinked like someone had just woken up from her from a trance. I uh, yes, I believe I do, sir. She frowned at us. Annabeth, Thalia, Percy, what are you doing away from the gymnasium? Before we could answer, I, more, I heard more footsteps and Grover ran up. Breathless. You, you made it. You. He stopped short when he stopped short when he saw the teachers. Oh, Mrs. Gottschalk, uh, Doctor Thorne, I. Uh, what is it, Mister Underwood? Said the man. His tone made it clear that he detested Grover. What do you mean they made it? These students live here. Grover swallowed. Yes, sir. Uh, of course, Dr. Thorne. I, I just meant I'm so glad they made the punch for the dance. The punch is great, and they made it. Dr. G- Thorne glared at us. I decided one of his eyes had to be fake. The brown one? The blue one? He looked like he wanted to pitch us off the castle's highest tower. But then Mrs. Gottschalk said dreamily, Yes, the punch is excellent. Now run along, all of you. You are not to leave the gymnasium again. 
We didn't wait to be told twice. We left with a lot of yes ma'ams and yes sirs with a couple of salutes, just because it seemed like the thing to do. Grover hustled us down the hall in the direction of the music. I could feel the teacher's eyes on my back, but I walked closely to Thalia and asked in a low voice, How did you do that finger snap thing? You mean the mist? Hasn't Sharon shown you how to do that yet? An uncomfortable lump formed in my throat. Sharon was our head trainer at camp, but he never showed me anything like that. Why had he shown Thalia, not me? Grover hurried us to the door that had Jim written on the glass. Even with my dyslexia, I could read that much. That was close, Grover said. Thank the gods you are here. Ambeth and Thalia both hugged Grover. I gave him a big high five. It was good to see him after so many months. He'd gone a little taller and had sprouted a few more whiskers. But other, otherwise, he looked like he always did when he passed for human. A red cap on his curly brown hair to hide his goat horns. Baggy jeans and sneakers with fake feet to hide his furry legs and hooves. He was wearing a black t-shirt that took me a few seconds to read it. It said Westover Hall Grunt. I wasn't sure whether that was like Grover's rank or maybe just a school motto. So what's the emergency? I asked. Grover took a deep breath. I found two. Two half-bloods? Thalia asked, amazed. Here? Grover nodded. Finding one half-blood was rare enough. This year, Sharon had put the satires in emergency overtime and sent them all over the country, scouring schools from fourth grade to high school for possible recruits. These were desperate times. We were losing campers. We needed all the new fighters we could find. The problem was... There just weren't that many demigods out there. A brother and a sister, he said. They're 10 and 12. I don't know their parentage, but they're strong. We're running out of time, though. I need help. Monsters? One. Grover looks nervous. He suspects. I don't think he's positive yet, but this is the last day of term. I'm sure he won't let them leave campus without finding out. It may be our last chance. Every time I get close to them, he's always there blocking me. I don't know what to do. Grover looked at Thalia desperately. I tried not to feel upset by that. Used to be, Grover looked to me for answers, but Thalia had seniority, not just because her dad was Zeus. Thalia had more experience than any of us with fending off monsters in the real world. Right, she said. These half-bloods are at the dance? Grover nodded. Then let's dance, Thalia said. Who's the monster? Oh, Grover said and looked around nervously. You just met him. The vice principal, Dr. Thorne. Weird thing about military schools. The kids go absolutely nuts when there's a special event and they get to be out of uniform. I guess it's because everything's so strict the rest of the time. They feel like they've got to overcompensate or something. There were black and red balloons all over the gym floor, and guys were kicking them in each other's faces or trying to strangle each other with the crepe paper streamers taped to the walls. Girls moved around in football huddles, the way they always do, wearing lots of makeup and spaghetti strap tops and brightly colored pants and shoes that looked like torture devices every once in a while they'd sur surround some poor guy like a pack of piranhas shrieking and giggling and when they finally moved on the guy would have ribbons in his hair and a bunch of lipstick graffiti all over his face some of the older guys looked more like me uncomfortable hanging out at the edges of the gym and trying to hide like any minute they might have to fight for their lives of course in my case it was true there they are grover nodded toward a couple of younger kids arguing the bleachers Bianca and Nico D'Angelo. The girl, the girl wore a floppy green cap like she was trying to hide her face. The boy was obviously her, her, her little brother. 
They both had dark, silky hair and olive skin, and they used their hands a lot as they talked. The boy was shuffling some kind of trading cards. His sister seemed to be scolding him about something. She kept looking around like she sensed something was wrong. Ambit said, Do they... I mean, have you told them? Grover shook his head. You know how it is. That could put them in more danger. Once they realize who they are, their scent becomes stronger. He looked at me and I nodded. I never really understood what half-bloods smell like to monsters and satires, but I know that your scent could get you killed. And the more powerful a demigod you became, the more you smell like a monster's lunch. So, let's grab them and get out of here, I said. I started forward, but Thalia put her hand on my shoulder. The vice principal, Dr. Thorne, had slipped out of a doorway near the bleachers and was standing near the D'Angelo siblings. He nodded coldly in our direction. His blue eyes seemed to glow. Judging from his expression, I guess Thorne hadn't been fooled by Thalia's trick with the mist after all. He suspected who we were. He was just waiting to see why we were here. Don't look at the kids. We have to wait for a chance to get them. We need to pretend we're not interested in him. Throw him off the scent. How? We're three powerful half-bloods. Our presence should confuse him. Mingle, act natural, do some dancing, but keep an eye on those kids. Dancing? Ambit asked. Thalia nodded. She cocked her ear to the music and made a face. Ugh, who chose the Jesse McCartney? Grover looked hurt. I did. Oh my gods, Grover, that is so lame. Can't you play like Green Day or something? Green who? Never mind, let's dance. But I can't dance. You can if I'm leading, Thalia said. Come on, go boy. Grover yelped as Thalia grabbed his hand and led him onto the dance floor. Ambit smiled. What? I asked. Nothing. It's just cool to have Thalia back. Ambit had grown taller than me since last summer, which I found kind of disturbing. She used to wear no jewelry except her camp half-blood bead necklace, but now she wore little silver earrings shaped like owls, the symbol of her mother, Athena. She pulled off her ski ski cap, and her long blonde hair tumbled down her shoulders. It made her look older for some reason. So, I tried to think of something to say. Act natural, Thalia had told us. When you're a half-blood on a dangerous mission, what the heck is natural? Um, design any good buildings lately? Ambit's eyes lit up. The way they always did when she talked about architecture. Oh my gods, Percy. At my new school, I get to take 3D design as an elective. And there's this cool computer program. She went on to explain how she designed this huge monument that she wanted to build at Ground Zero in Manhattan. She talked about structural supports and facades and stuff. And I tried to listen. I knew she wanted to be a super architect when she grew up. She loves math and historical buildings and all that. But I hardly understood a word she was saying. The truth was, I was kind of disappointed to see here that she liked her new school so much. It was the first time she'd gone to school in New York. I'd been hoping to see her more often. It was a boarding school in Brooklyn, and she and Thalia were both attending, close enough to Camp Hapla that Sharon could help if they got in any trouble. Because it was an all-girls school and I was going to MS-54 in Manhattan, I hardly ever saw them. Yeah, uh, cool, I said. So, you're staying there the rest of the year? Huh? Her face got dark. Well, maybe if I don't... Hey! Thalia called to us. She was slow dancing with Grover, who was tripping all over himself, kicking Thalia in the shins and looking like he wanted to die. At least his feet were fake. Unlike me, he had an excuse for being clumsy. Dance, you guys! Thalia ordered. You look stupid just standing there. 
I looked nervously at Annabeth, then at the group of girls who were roaming the gym. Well, Annabeth said, um, who should I ask? She punched me in the gut. Me, seaweed brain? Oh, oh, bright. So we went onto the dance floor, and I looked over to how to see Thal- how to, s- to see how Thalia and Grover were doing things. I put one hand on Annabeth's hip, and she clasped my other hand like she was about to judo throw me. I'm not gonna bite, she told me. Honestly, Percy, don't you guys have dances at your school? I didn't answer. The truth was we did, but I never, like, actually danced at one. I was usually one of the guys playing basketball in the corner. We shuffled around for a few minutes. I tried to concentrate on little things, like the crepe, crepe paper streamers and the punch bowl. Anything but the fact that Annabeth was taller than me, and my hands were sweating and probably gross, and I kept stepping on her toes. What were you saying earlier? I asked. Are you having trouble at school or something? She pursed her lips. It's, it's not that. It's my dad. Uh-oh. I knew Annabeth had a rocky relationship with her father. I thought it was getting better with you two. Is it your stepmom again? Annabeth sighed. He decided to move, just when I was getting settled in New York. He took this stupid new job researching for a World War I book in San Francisco. She said this is the same way she might say Fields of Punishment or Hades' gym shorts. Gym shorts. So he wants you to move out there with him? I asked. To the other side of the country, she said miserably. And half-bloods can't live in San Francisco. He should know that. What? Why not? Annabeth rolled her eyes. Maybe she thought I was kidding. You know, it's right there. Oh, I said. I had no idea what she was talking about, but I didn't want to sound stupid. So, you'll go back to living at camp or what? It's more serious than that, Percy. I I probably should tell you something. Suddenly she froze. They're gone. What? I followed her gaze. The bleachers. The two half-blood kids, Bianca and Nico, were no longer there. The door next to the bleachers was, was wide open, and Dr. Thorne was nowhere in sight. We have to get Thalia and Grover. Ambit looked around frantically. Oh, where'd they dance off to? Come on. She ran through the crowd. I was about to follow when a mob of girls got in my way. I maneuvered around them to avoid getting the ribbon and lipstick treatment. And by the time I was free, Annabeth had disappeared. I turned a full circle looking for her or Thalia and Grover. Instead, I saw something that chilled my blood. About 50 feet away, lying on the gym floor, was a floppy green cap just like the one Bianca D'Angelo had been wearing. Near it were a few scattered trading cards. Then I caught a glimpse of Dr. Thorne. He was hurrying out a door at the opposite end of the gym, steering the D'Angelo kids by the scruffs of their neck like kittens. I still couldn't see Annabeth, but I knew she'd be heading the other way, looking for Thalia and Grover. I almost ran after her, and then I thought, wait. I remember what Thalia had said to me in the entry hall, looking at me all puzzled when I asked about the finger snap trick. Hasn't Sharon shown you how to do that yet? I thought about the way Grover had turned to her, expecting her to save the day. Not that I resented Talia. She was cool. It wasn't her fault her dad was Zeus and she got all the attention. Still, I didn't need to run after her to solve every problem. Besides, there wasn't time. The D'Angelo's were in trouble, were in danger. They might be long gone by the time I found my friends. I knew monsters. I could handle this myself. I took Riptide out of my pocket and ran after Dr. Thorne. The door led me into a dark hallway. I heard sounds of scuffling up ahead, then a painful grunt. I uncapped Riptide. The pen grew in my hands until I held a bronze Greek sword 
about three feet long with a leather-bound grip. The blade glowed faintly, casting a golden light on the rows of lockers. I jogged down the corridor, but when I got to the other end, no one was there. I opened a door and found myself back in the main entry hall. I was completely turned around. I didn't see Dr. Thorne anywhere, but they were on there on the opposite side of the kid room were the D'Angelo kids. They stood frozen in horror, staring right at me. I advanced slowly, lowering the tip of my sword. It's okay. I'm not going to hurt you. They didn't answer. Their eyes were full of fear. What was wrong with them? Where was Dr. Thorne? Maybe he'd sensed the presence of Riptide and retreated. Monsters hated Celestial Brown's weapons. My name's Percy, I said, trying to keep my voice level. I'm going to take you out of here. Get you somewhere safe. Bianca's eyes widened. Her fists clenched. Only too late did I realize what her look meant. She wasn't afraid of me. She was trying to warn me. I whirled around and something went whish. Pain exploded in my shoulder. A force like a huge hand yanked me backward and slammed me to the wall. I slashed with my sword, but there was nothing to hit. A cold laugh echoed through the hall. Ha ha ha. Yes, Perseus Jackson, Dr. Thorne said. His accent mangled the J in my last name. I know who you are. I tried to free my shoulder. My coat and shirt were pinned to the wall by some kind of spike. A black dagger-like projectile about a foot long. It had grazed the skin of my shoulder as it passed through my clothes, and the cut burned. I'd felt something like this before. Poison. I forced myself to concentrate. I would not pass out. A dark silhouette now moved toward us. Dr. Thorne snapped, stepped into the dim light. He still looked human, but his face was ghoulish. He had perfect white teeth, and his brown-blue eyes reflected the light on my sword. Thank you for coming out of the gym, he said. I hate middle school dances. I tried to swing my sword again, but he was just out of reach. Whoosh! A second projectile shot from somewhere behind Dr. Thorne. He didn't appear to move. It was as if someone invisible were standing next behind him, throwing knives. Next to me, Bianca yelped. The second Thorne impaled itself into the, in the stone wall, half an inch from her face. All three, of you, all three of you will come with me, Dr. Thorne said, quietly, obediently. If you make a single noise, I, if you call out for help or try to fight, I will show you just how accurately I can throw. And that is the end of chapter one. We will have to see what will happen to Dr. Thorne after we take a quick little break. So don't go anywhere. Right after this break, we will read chapter two. The vice principal gets a missile launcher. And we are back from the ads, and now we will read chapter two. The vice principal gets a missile launcher. I didn't know what kind of monster Dr. Thorne was, but he was fast. Maybe I could defend myself if I get my shield activated. All that it would take was a touch of my wristwatch. But defending the D'Angelo kids was another matter. I needed help, and there was one only way I could think of. Think to get it. I closed my eyes. What are you doing, Jackson? His Dr. Thorne. Keep moving. I opened my eyes and kept shuffling forward. It's my shoulder, I lied, trying to sound miserable, which wasn't hard. It burns. Bah! My poison causes pain. It will not kill you. Walk! Thorn herded us outside, and I tried to concentrate. I pictured Grover's face. I focused on my feelings of fear and danger. Last summer, Grover had created an empathy link between us. 
He'd send me visions in my dream to let me know when he was in trouble. As far as I knew, we were still linked, but I never tried to contact Grover before. I didn't even know it worked while Grover was awake. Hey, Grover, I thought. Thorn's kidnapping us. He's a poisonous, spike-throwing maniac. Help. Thorn marched us into the woods. We took a snowy path dimly lit by old-fashioned lamplights. My shoulder ached. The wind blowing through my ripped clothes was so cold that I felt like a persicle. There's a clearing ahead, Thorn said. We will summon your ride. What ride? Bianca demanded. Where are you taking us? Silence, you insufferable girl. Don't talk to my sister that way, Nico said. His voice quivered, but I was impressed that he had the guts to say anything at all. Dr. Thorne made a growling sound that definitely wasn't human. It made the hair stand up on the back of my neck, but I forced myself to keep walking and pretend I was being a good, good little captive. Meanwhile, I projected my thoughts like crazy, anything to get Grover's attention. Grover! Apples! Tin cans! Get your furry goat behind out here and bring some heavily armed friends! Halt, Thorne said. The woods had opened up. We reached a cliff overlooking the sea. At least, I sensed the sea was down there, hundreds of feet below. I could hear the waves churning and I could smell the cold, salty froth. But all I could see was mist and darkness. Dr. Thorne pushed us toward the edge. I stumbled and Bianca caught me. Thanks, I murmured. What is he? She whispered. How do we fight him? I, I'm working on it. I'm scared, Nico mumbled. He was fiddling with something, a little metal toy soldier of some kind. Stop talking, Dr. Thorne said. Face me! We turned. Thorne's two eyes glittered hungrily. He pulled something from under his coat. At first, I thought it was a switchblade, but it was only a phone. He pressed the side button and said, The package. It is ready to deliver. There was a garbled reply, and I realized Thorne was in walkie-talkie mode. This seemed way too modern and creepy. A monster using a mobile phone? I glanced behind me, wondering how far the drop was. Dr. Thorne laughed. By all means, son of Poseidon, jump! There is the sea! Save yourself! What did he call you? Bianca muttered. I'll explain later, I said. You do have a plan, right? Grover! I thought desperately. Come to me! Maybe I could get both the D'Angelos to jump with me into the ocean. If we survived the fall, I could use the water to protect us. I'd done things like that before. If my dad was in a good mood and listening, he might help. Maybe. I would kill you before you ever reach the water, Dr. Thorne said, as of reading my thoughts. You do not realize who I am, do you? A flicker of movement behind him and another missile whistled so close to me that it nicked my ear. Something had sprung up behind Dr. Thorne, like a catapult, but more flexibly, but more flexible, almost like a tail. Unfortunately, Thorne said, you are wanted alive, if possible. Otherwise, you would already be dead. Who would want... Who wants us? Bianca demanded. Because if you think you'll get a ransom, you're wrong. We don't have any family. Nico and I... Her voice broke a little. We've got no one but each other. Aww. Dr. Thorne said. Do not worry, little brats. You'll be meeting my employer soon enough. Then you will have a brand new family. Luke. I said, you work for Luke. 
Dr. Thorne's mouth twisted with distaste when I said the name of my old enemy, a former friend who tried to kill me several times. You have no idea what is happening, Perseus Jackson. I will let the general enlighten you. You are going to do him a great service tonight. He is looking forward to meeting you. The general? I asked. Then I realized I'd said it with a French accent. I mean, who's the general? Thorne looked toward the horizon. Ah, here we are, your transportation. I turned and saw a light in the distance, a searchlight over the sea. Then I heard the chopping of helicopter blades getting louder and closer. Where are you taking us? Nico said. You should be honored, my boy. You will have the opportunity to join a great army, just like that silly game you play with cards and dolls. They're not dolls, they're figurines, and you can take a great army and... Now, now, Dr. Thorne warned. You will change your mind about joining us, my boy. And if you don't, well, there are other uses for half-bloods. We have many monstrous mouths to feed. The great stirring is underway. The great what? I asked. Anything to keep him talking while I tried to figure out a plan. The stirring of monsters, Dr. Thorne smiled evilly. The worst of them, the most powerful, been seen in thousands of years. They will cause death and destruction, the likes of which mortals have never known. And soon we shall have the most a monster of all, the one that shall bring about the downfall of Olympus. Okay, Bianca whispered to me. He's completely nuts. We have to jump off the cliff, I told her, into the sea. Oh, super idea. You're completely nuts too. I never got the chance to argue with her because just then an invisible force slammed into me. Looking back on it, Ambit's move was brilliant. Wearing her cap of invisibility, she plowed into the D'Angelo's and me, knocking us to the ground. For a split second, Dr. Thorne was taken by surprise, so his first volley of missiles zipped harmlessly over our heads. This gave Thalia and Grover a chance to advance from behind, Thalia wielding her magic shield, Aegis. If you've never seen Thalia run into battle, you've never been truly frightened. She uses a huge spear that expands from this collapsible mace canister she carries in her pocket. But that's not the scary part. Her shield is modeled after one of her uh, after one her dad Zeus call uses, also called Aegis, a gift from Athena. This shield has uh, the head of the Gorgon Medusa molded into the bronze. And even though it won't turn you to stone, it's so horrible, most people will panic and run at the sight of it. Doctor, even Dr. Thorne Winston growled when he saw it. Thalia moved it with her spear. For Zeus! I thought Dr. Thorne was a goner. Thalia jabbed at his head, but he snarled and swatted the spear aside. His hand changed into an orange paw, with enormous claws that sparked against Thalia's shield as he slashed. If it hadn't been for Aegis, Thalia would have been sliced like a loaf of bread. As it was, she managed to roll backward and land on her feet. The sound of the helicopter was getting louder behind me, but I didn't dare look. Dr. Thorne launched another volley of missiles at Thalia, and this time I could see how he did it. He had a tail, a leathery scorpion-like tail that bristled with spikes at the tip. The missiles deflected off Aegis, but the force of their impact knocked Thalia down. Grover's spare sprang forward. He put his reed pipes to his lips and began to play. A frantic jig that sounded like something pirates would dance to. Grass broke through the snow. Within seconds, rope... Thick weeds were wrapping around Dr. Thorne's legs and tangling them. 
Dr. Thorne roared and began to change. He grew larger until he was in his true form. His face was still human, but his body that of a huge lion. His leathery spiky tail whipped deadly thorns in all directions. A manticore, Annabeth said, now visible. Her magical New York Yankees cap had come off when she plowed into us. Who are you people? Bianca D'Angelo demanded. And what is that? A manticore? Nico gasped. He's got 3,000 attack power and plus 5 to saving air throws. I don't know what he was talking about, but I didn't have time to worry about it. The manticore clawed Grover's magic weeds to shreds and then turned toward us with a snarl. Get down! Ambit pushed the D'Angelo's flat into the snow. At the last second, I remembered my own shield. I hit my wristwatch, and the metal plating spiraled right out into a thick bronze shield. Not a moment too soon, the thorns impacted against it. With such force, they dented the metal. The beautiful shield, a gift from my brother, was badly damaged. I wasn't even sure if it would even stop a second volley. I heard a thwack and a yelp, and Grover landed next to me with a thud. Yield! The monster roared. Never! Thalia yelled from across the field. She charged the monster, and for a second, I thought she would run him through. But then there was a thunderous noise and a blaze of light from behind us. The helicopter appeared out of the mist, hovering just beyond the cliffs. It was a sleek, black, military-style gunship with attachments on the side that looked like the laser-guided rockets. The helicopter had to be manned by mortals. But what was it doing here? How could mortals be working with a monster? The searchlights blinded Thalia, and the manticore swatted her away with its tail. Her shield flew off into the snow. Her spear flew into the, in the other direction. No! I ran out to help her. I parried away a spike just before it would have hit her chest. I raised my shield over us, but I knew it, would, it wouldn't be enough. Dr. Thorne laughed. Ha <laughs> ha! Now do you see how hopeless it is? Yield, little heroes. We were trapped between a monster and a fully armed helicopter. We had no chance. Then I heard a clear, piercing sound. The call of a hunting horn blowing in the woods. The manticore froze. For a moment, no one moved. There was only the swirl of snow and wind and the chopping of the helicopter blades. No, Dr. Thorne said. It cannot be. His sentence was cut short when something shot past me like a streak of moonlight. A glowing silver arrow sprouted from Dr. Thorne's shoulder. He staggered backward, wailing in agony. Curse you, Thorne cried. He unleashed his spikes, dozens of them at once, into the woods where the arrows had come from, but just as fast silvery arrows shot back in reply. It almost looked like the arrows had intercepted the thorns in midair and sliced them in two, but my eyes would have, but must have been playing tricks on me. No one, not even Apollo's kids at camp, could shoot with that much accuracy. The manticore pulled the arrow out of his shoulder with a howl of pain. His breathing was heavy. I tried to swipe at him with my sword, but he wasn't as injured as he looked. He dodged my attack and slammed his tail into my shield, knocking me aside. Then the archers came from the woods. They were girls, about a dozen of them. The youngest was maybe 10, the oldest about 14, like me. They wore silvery ski parkas and jeans, and they all were all armed with bows. They advanced on the manticore with determined expressions. The hunters! Ambit cried. Next to me, Thalia muttered, Oh, wonderful. I didn't have a chance to ask what she meant. One of the older archers stepped forward with her bow drawn. She was tall and graceful with coppery-colored skin. Unlike the other girls, she had a silver, silver circlet braided into the top of her long, dark hair, so she looked like some kind of Persian princess. Permission to kill, my lady. 
I couldn't tell who she was talking to because she kept her eyes on the manticore. The monster wailed. This is not fair. Direct interference. It is against the ancient laws. Not so, another girl said. This one was a little younger than me, maybe 12 or 13. She had auburn hair gathered back in a ponytail and strange eyes, silvery yellow like the moon. Her face was so beautiful it made me catch my breath, but her expression was stern and dangerous. The hunting of all wild beasts is within my sphere, and you, foul creature, are a wild beast. She looked at the older girl with a circlet. Zoe, permission granted. The manticore growled. If I cannot have these, have these alive, I shall have them dead. He lunged at Thalia and me, knowing we were weak and dazed. No! Ambit yelled, and she charged at the monster. Get back, half-blood! The girl with the circlet said. Get out of the line of fire! But Ambit leaped onto the monster's back and drove her knife into his mane. The manticore howled, turning in circles with a tail flailing as Annabeth hung on for dear life. Fire! Zoe ordered. No! I screamed. But the hunters let their arrows fly. The first caught the manticore in the neck. Another hit his chest. The manticore staggered backward, wailing. This is not the end, Huntress. You shall pay. And before anyone could react, the monster, with Annabeth on his, still on his back, leaped over the cliff and tumbled into the darkness. Annabeth! I yelled. I started to run after her, but our enemies weren't done with us. There was a snap, snap, snap from the helicopter. The sound of gunfire. Most of the hunters scattered as tiny holes appeared in the snow at their feet. But the girls with auburn hair just looked up calmly at the helicopter. Morals, she announced, are not allowed to witness my hunt. She thrust out her hand, and the helicopter exploded into dust. No, not dust. The black metal dissolved into a flock of birds, ravens, which scattered into the night. The hunters advanced on us. The one called Zoe stopped short when she saw Thalia. You, she said with distaste. Zoe Nightshade. Thalia's voice trembled with anger. Perfect timing as usual. Zoe scanned the rest of us. Four half-bloods and a satire, my lady. Yes, the younger girl said. Some of Sharon's campers, I see. Annabeth! I yelled, you have to let us save her. The auburn-haired girl turned toward me. I'm sorry, Percy Jackson, but your friend is beyond help. I tried to struggle to my feet, but a couple of girls of the girls held me down. You are in no condition to be hurling yourself off the cliffs. Off cliffs. The auburn-haired girl said, let me go, I demanded. Who do you think you are? Zoe stepped forward as if to smack me. No, the other girl ordered. I sense no disrespect, Zoe. He's simply distraught. He does not understand. The younger girl girl looked at me, her eyes colder and brighter than the winter moon. I am Artemis, she said, goddess of the hunt. And that is the end of chapter two. That was an amazing chapter considering how the hunters just came in and were able to save Percy and Thalia and Grover and Annabeth from you know, getting destroyed by the manticore in that helicopter. But I really do hope that Annabeth does come back alive from that fall. And I hope that, you know, he, she gets re- reunited with her camp because Percy seemed really, like, sad after Annabeth, like, fell off that cliff. But I really do hope she's still alive. And we will find out what happens next, next week on the Titan's Core Curse. S- stay safe and stay out of boredom.